Well, again, good morning. Welcome. My name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor here at the Olathe Campus of Christ Community. It's uh, great to, to be able to be together here in this place this morning. Let me pray for us as we uh, prepare to look at these words together in the Gospel of John. Let's pray. God, we, I need you in this moment. God, I pray that you would be here present with us in ways that we can know and experience. God, that we um, gathered around your words, gathered around um, the person of Jesus here together in this place. God, I pray that you would speak. Give us hearts to hear and to listen and be changed. Help us to, to see where our, this ancient story meshes with our own stories. And God, I pray that we would each meet with you in this space. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, back in seminary, I had a lot of different, uh, you know, hard classes and a few brutal professors. But one of, my, one of my least favorite assignments, the hardest thing, I think, for me in four years of Bible college and three years of seminary, uh, had nothing to do with the academics. Uh, it was a class on sharing your faith with others, which I believe in, right? Like it's a good thing. Share your faith with others. Uh, but this particular professor uh, was maybe a little bit old school, uh, and firmly believe that we should regularly be initiating spiritual conversations with strangers. That's, that's kind of a, a mode of, of doing this. Now, if you know anything about me, I don't even like talking to people I do know, okay? Um, okay, maybe that's not entirely true. Uh, but I certainly don't like initiating any conversation with a stranger. It makes me uncomfortable, it makes me feel weird, and, and the, the thought of initiating a spiritual conversation with a stranger makes me honestly want to run. But over a, a 12-week period of, of this uh, semester, I had to share my faith 10 times with 10 different people, um, and five of those had to be with complete strangers. Now, the first five weren't, weren't that bad. I mean, I, I worked at a bank as a, as a teller during my seminary years, and so we had plenty of time to talk. They all already knew that I was a seminary student, meaning they, they already knew I was weird. Um, and so we would, we would regularly engage in spiritual conversations anyway. So that, that wasn't that big of a deal. I could sort of check those off the list pretty easily. Uh, it was the other five that were, I mean, yeah, it was me loitering around the local communi- community college, right, um, searching for, for victims, right? Um, I mean, that's what it felt like. I, I felt like I was either like a predator or just sort of trolling for dates. Like whoever looked the weakest, you know, the, the most bored. I'd go. I mean, if, honestly, it was awful. Even, even talking about it now, it just makes, it makes everything within me cringe. It felt so manipulative, so forced, so unwanted by the people uh, that I engaged with. I think I learned more about what not to do from this class, quite honestly. Because I'm, I'm a big believer that in a culture like ours, not that there's never a place for that, but that the primary way in which we should be sharing our faith is with people we have relationships with, right? With humility and with uh, gentleness, certainly, uh, with grace, but in the context of, of meaningful relationship. But even that can be scary, Right? Right? I mean, just imagine right now somebody in your life who isn't a Christian. Shouldn't be that hard to do. And imagine going over to them and telling them who you believe Jesus is 
and what he means to you. Fear anybody, right? Yeah, of, of course, right? You, you hear that, you think about that, and everything within us, oh, it just it makes me so, so tense to think about. Now, I don't know if you've realized it, but we've, uh, one of the primary motivations for taking these eight weeks, this is week eight, in the Gospel of John, looking at these encounters Jesus has with outsiders, one of our primary motivations has been to, to help equip us as well as to motivate us to share our faith with the people around us. And so in the first week, we, we saw how Jesus listens to the skeptic, right? And we said that Christianity will always be from Nazareth, always be easy to dismiss. And we saw how, how Jesus listens to the satisfied, right? Those who, who seem to have everything together, and yet he still offers them more. Jesus listens to the outcasts. You know, don't discard who Jesus runs after. And so by this point, week eight, we've seen Jesus share Jesus with outsiders, And now it's our turn. And so we end our series this morning with some of Jesus' final words to his disciples. Some of his final words for us. And they are terrified. But some fears are worth running towards. And the reality is, it doesn't matter what I say. I mean, we, when we think about this, the thought of initiating a conversation, somebody in your life, right, um, who doesn't believe these things, I mean, it, it feels awkward. It feels scary. And there's nothing that I can say that can remove that fear. But some fears are worth running towards. Now, we're going to break this time together this morning into three sections. Why we're afraid. Let's start there. Why we're afraid. Why that doesn't stop us, or at least, you know, shouldn't stop us, right? Let's be honest. And how, how we run towards it. But before, before we do that, let me just say, though, if you're not a Christian, we're really glad that you're here with us. We, we want to be a place where you can come and ask questions and, and, and travel with us, right, to figure out a little bit more of who, who Jesus is. We're really glad you're here. But this might feel a little bit awkward, right? Because we're sort of like kind of talking about you behind your back, and here you are sitting in the room and, and all of that. And let me just say, I'm sorry for the way that we make this awkward. I really am, right? For some of us, we, we come across as pushy or arrogant or salesy, right? And it's just, it can, be, it can be awful and it can be painful, and I'm sorry that we've done that to you. But I, but I hope as you sit here this morning, you at least see, get a, get a glimpse of why we do this. Even if, even if we do it poorly, why, why we think proselytizing right, for lack of better terms, is a good idea. Jesus tells us to. And if we actually believe these things, and we have any semblance of love for you, then we've got to talk about it. Hopefully we won't do it in ways that completely are, are weird and disturbing, but we have to share. Now, if you are a Christian... What's so scary about this? Why are we afraid? And seriously, I'd I'd love some interaction here. Chances are uh, whatever fear you shout out is something that I'm afraid of too. But let's, let's talk about this for a moment. What are some of your fears as you think about this? What prevents us from sharing our faith? I don't have all the answers, right? What if they ask this question or this? I don't, I don't have all the answers. What's that? Denial. Yeah, like, yeah, they're, they're going to maybe reject you or reject what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we feel that one deeply, don't we? Rejection, denial. Saying the wrong thing. Yeah, what if I get it wrong? Gosh, then what? 
break the relationship, right? It, it, you're putting something on the line to, to say, because not only do you say, when you do that, not only do you say, this is what I believe, but the subtle implication is, I believe this is also true for you. And that puts a, puts a little bit of a barrier there if it's not done with absolute tenderness. And even then, it can create that barrier. Yeah, what else? Yeah, talking about it, they, don't, they just don't believe what you believe, right? And so there's maybe even a, a difference in language or you're coming to, to things in a, in a different angle. Other, other thoughts, other fears? H- yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. At first I was like, I don't get it. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, especially in the workplace, right? You've got to be very sensitive. You've got to be careful. And certainly you want to be respectful no matter what that looks like. Yeah, that's, that's really true. Anything else? Yeah, hypocrisy. Exactly, because they see you, especially if they know you well. So they know that you're, well, in your case, Jonathan, you know, kind of a failure. So. I mean, right, they see us, or maybe, maybe it's not just us. They see Christians in, in the media, or they see, uh, you know, if they know anything about church history, it's not exactly all that exciting in certain points uh, or, or positive for us. Yeah, that, absolutely. And, and all of these, I mean, and we could add to the list, right? We don't want to be a bother. That's part of it. I just don't, I don't want to bother anybody. I feel like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt their day. Or, or, or maybe even, I think, I think if we're honest, at least if I'm honest, I think part of it is I just, I'm not really sure it's going to make any difference. Right? So why bother? I mean, do people actually change? Something I say and somebody's actually going to make some sort of difference? I mean, really? Most of these things, I think, are, are fears for most of us. Maybe all of these things for all of us, right? We struggle with this. Now, I, I want us to look at what the disciples were afraid of. But in doing that, I don't want that to minimize how we feel. Because fear is fear, right? Big and small. Uh, and so we're not going to just sort of say, well, here, look at the disciples. Be more like the disciples. Because that's not going to help anybody, right? We all struggle with this. And we all deal with it in different places and different cultures and contexts. But what helps me in looking at the disciples is to know we're not the first people to be afraid. We're not the first people to have to deal with this, okay? Okay, so we're, we're in John chapter 20. Uh, and imagine the scene here, because it's, it's Easter evening, okay? That means the, the terrible events of Good Friday have passed. The, the agonizing silence of Saturday is over. Imagine what that must have been like for his followers. And now it's Sunday night, and they're huddled behind locked doors. They're terrified. Not just terrified, they're disappointed, right? Completely. Everything that they'd given their lives to spent three years following this guy, they saw all of their unmet expectations nailed to a tree. Now what? And yeah, they're afraid. I mean, Jesus was crucified, executed, right, by the most powerful empire of that day for being an insurrectionist, for treason. And they were, they were part of his team, right? They had every reason to believe that the Jews and the Romans were going to be coming after them next. And then, on top of all that, I'm not sure if this made matters worse or just confused them or what, but on top of all of that that they must be experiencing, that Sunday night behind those locked doors, Peter and John had been to the tomb earlier that day, and it was empty. That's weird. And a few of their followers, a handful of women, claimed that they had actually seen him earlier that morning. That they talked to him, touched him. Really, Mary? Really? But look at verse 20. Or, um, verse 19. No, verse, yeah, verse 19 of chapter 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear 
of the Jews. Of course they're afraid. Of course they are. And this, this fear, it continues today. It may look different for all of us, right? In a different context. And even if you think about it, around the world today, the different fears that come with the claims of Jesus. I mean, for example, here's a map. And I, I hesitate to show this because it, it distances us from uh, the situation, right? It makes, it makes, their, makes our situation seem so small that we, we kind of overlook it. But it's helpful, I think, for us to see in, in the historical context. Every one of those dots is pl- are places today where Christians face hostility. From anywhere, from having their property taken away or you know, people watching them to make sure they're keeping in line, all the way to the, the Christians being hunted down and killed. Men, women, children, doesn't matter because of following Jesus. And maybe you've heard of the, the recent sort of escalations in places like China or Africa or Iraq. Maybe even just a couple of weeks ago, um, the, the, the story of this Pakistani woman uh, made international news is all over the place for a couple of weeks. Her, her uh, case was up for appeal. She's a Christian, um, and she said, probably should have asked her HR uh, people first, but she said to her coworkers that she believed Jesus is better than Muhammad. Um, and two weeks ago, her appeal was denied, and she'll be executed soon by the government of Pakistan for blasphemy. I mean, imagine that, right? I mean, imagine living in a, in a world like that. Or I also think of Farshid, Pastor Farshid. We've talked about him a lot because he, he's one of us. I mean, he feels that way. I've, I've never personally met him, but we, we support him. He's uh, one of our ministry partners through Elam Ministry. And, and there he is with his family before he went to prison. I mean, he, he just turned 35 like me. Wife and kids, little kids, just like me. Pastor, just like me. And he's in the midst of a six-year prison sentence in one of the worst prisons in Iran for telling others about Jesus. And we get to partner with him. And maybe, maybe as you hear that, you know, it makes too much of a distance, right? Because it's like, well, gosh, I was just complaining about being embarrassed, right? And yet our fears are, are still real. We still face them. The reality is for 2,000 years, Christians have been persecuted in big ways and in small, and it shouldn't really surprise us, Right? I mean, they, they did crucify our leader after all. But what does surprise me is that in those places, the gospel continues to be proclaimed with incredible power. And that, that people, lots and lots of people at great risk to themselves, continue to give their lives to Christ. To this, this guy that we continue to follow. There's only one explanation for this. Some fears are worth running towards. Some fears are just worth it. You know, I, don't, I don't share any of this to make us feel guilty about all of our, all, all of our small fears, but simply to remind us, this is what we signed up for, nothing less. For, for those of us who said, yes, I'm going to follow this Jesus, this, this is the call, this is, this is the path. In the history of Christianity, comfort is the exception, not the rule. The rule is hostility. Throughout the ages and even in the world today. And, and Paul, Paul warned us of that, didn't he? In 2 Timothy 3, he said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And whether it's death or imprisonment, or taking, having our rights taken away, whether, whether it's feeling the sense of rejection or not knowing what to say or, or disagreement or the rift in the relationship. I mean, all of these things, we have, we have lots of legitimate fears, but the reality is our fears cannot stop us 
But why? Why why don't they stop us? Why don't they stop them? Well, three things as the story continues. First, they weren't stopped by their fears because they've they've seen him. We we have seen him. Not really, right? Not us, I guess. Be nice. We actually could see him physically before us and make a big difference, wouldn't it, for all of us? And we we don't have that luxury, so we have to take it by faith. But I don't I don't believe that this story that, that Jesus rose from the dead. I don't believe it simply because the Bible tells me so. I mean, I believe the Bible, okay? But that's that's not only why I believe I believe it because hundreds of people saw him and some of them actually wrote those things down wrote that story down for us and we have their their words today they they saw a a man who had been dead alive again and he wasn't wasn't a hallucination he wasn't a vision wasn't a look-alike they're behind closed doors remember they weren't mistaken, right? Some guy just looked like Jesus. Look at what, look what happened in, in verse 19. So there they are in that locked room. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad. Seems like an understatement. When they saw the Lord. Oh, they're, just, they're so gullible back then, weren't they? Uneducated, superstitious people pretty easy for us, right, to feel that way, to look back and say, gosh, they just a bunch of idiots, weren't they? The reality is, no matter how much education you have, no matter what time period or culture you live in, nobody has any category for somebody coming back to life, right? It doesn't matter who you are. Dead people stay dead, and they they saw him. They're, they're in their midst, and that, that changed everything. And honestly, if you think about it, if, if we follow a guy who conquered death, what do we have left to fear? Not really. I mean, if death is sort of the worst, right? That's kind of the, the, the ultimate thing that we have looming over us. He conquered that. What do we have left to fear? Lots, right? Are you crazy? Of course we have lots to fear. And Jesus knows it. And I love this in, this in this story. Jesus isn't naive to these things. He's not just sort of saying suck it up to his disciples. Look at, look at what he says. He says twice there, peace be with you, right? He knows that this is, this is a big deal. And, and the last time he offered him peace, them peace, it was right before the, his execution. And he said in John 16, I love these words. Jesus said to these same disciples, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, shalom, wholeness. Then he goes on and he says, in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus isn't Pollyanna with his disciples. Honestly, neither, neither are they as they come to these things, right? In this world, you will face all kinds of junk, right? All kinds of pain and difficulty and rejection and loneliness, all kinds of things. But take heart, Jesus says, because I have overcome them. Every bit of it, every heartache, every embarrassment, every person beaten, imprisoned or murdered. Jesus says, I've, I've got this. I've overcome all of it. 
I'm sure we, we wait for the day when finally, fully, completely, we'll see and experience that. But listen, how else can you explain that this is the way Christianity works? That for 2,000 years, Christians in all, all places have suffered and died willingly. Say, no, we believe that this is better. We believe that our guy rose from the dead. And therefore, not even death can stop us. Not even pain, not even, not, nothing. I mean, just even think about that, right? Because of the gospel, God accepts us. So what if people reject us? Really? I mean, honestly, people are going to do that anyway. The God of the universe, the God who made you, accepts you. And so what if they take everything away from us? All of our rights, everything that we have. I mean, God himself promises to satisfy us, to give us everything that we need. So what if they kill us? I mean, they did that to Jesus, and it worked out okay for him. And we're with him. I mean, it's the only explanation that we can give for the ways that people around us, people, Christians around the world suffer. I mean, just a small example of this is what's, what's happening uh, recently in our world with Ebola, right? It's terrifying, isn't it? And I don't, I don't bring this up to get into any sort of political or what the rule, anyway, you figure that out on your own. Um, but when I'm struck in this situation, right, it's such a terrible thing, this terrible plague that's happening. And while millions, literally millions, are fleeing those regions, and I cannot blame them a bit for doing so, but while that's happening, thousands of Christians are running to help. Doctors and nurses, people who can offer compassion and help. And if you understand the history of the world, and, and yes, right, if we, if we understand there's good sides and bad sides, right, we, we know that Christians have, have blown it. We have a lot to, to apologize for, but Christians have always been, check the history books, always been the people who stayed when the plagues happened. Always been the people who, who came and helped and nursed people back to health, even at great risk to themselves, because some fears are worth running towards. And news this good cannot be killed. For they saw him. And not just that. We have been sent by him. He's given us a job. Verse, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Just as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus sends us. Well, think about that. How did God the Father send Jesus? Right into the heart of it, right? He didn't, didn't wait for us to come to him. God himself took on this body, this life, and walked among us here in this place. He, he pursued us, even his enemies, even the, even the people who destroy him. I mean, Jesus came with, with compassion and with humility and with grace. He even said earlier in John, I didn't come to condemn the world. I, I came to rescue the world. And in the same way, we have been sent. And ultimately, why did he come? He came to suffer, didn't he? He came to die. And if you think for one minute that he expects anything less from any one of us, you're mistaken. When Jesus calls us, he says, take up your cross. And that's not just a metaphor. It certainly wasn't for him. You have been sent not just, not just missionaries and pastors and monks and nuns. No, us. We have been sent. Kids, okay, that, that's you. If you're, if you're a Christian, you have been sent to your school or, or to your, your, your friendships, to, to your, your soccer field. God has sent you there. It's not, it's not arbitrary. It didn't just happen on accident. You have been sent. 
And, and for the rest of us, right, God has sent you to your office, whatever that looks like. Whatever place you are when you, when, you, when you work, you have been put there because God has sent you there to your neighborhood, to your community. These things don't just happen by accident. And parents, to your homes. I think we forget about this sometimes, right? That as parents, that, that's, our, that's our first mission field. Parents, don't just assume that your kids are Christians, that they get it, that they believe. Don't, don't assume that. Don't assume that your church is going to be the ones to, to fix it for you, Okay? We want to come alongside you. We, we want to help. But this is, this is your role with your kids. That's why we, we love seeing uh, kids in here together, worshiping together with their parents, because they need to see that you take this seriously, that, that, you, that you want to, to grow and learn and seek him. They need to see that, that you live this out in your daily walk, right, during the week. This is something for all of us. Where you are, no matter what that is, where you are is where he has sent you. But we're not alone in that. And it's not without purpose. Skip down to verse 23. Jesus continues. He says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Right? Jesus was sent to bring forgiveness. And our job is is the same. That's kind of a challenging verse, isn't it, to think about? Right? Makes us a little bit uncomfortable. And I don't, I don't think that Jesus is saying there in the, in the moment that, that we as Christians, we have the power to say, you know, forgiven, uh, forgiven, forgiven. Sorry, Dave. Sorry. Right? That's not, that's not what we do, right? That's not, that's not, what, that's not what Jesus is, is saying in this moment. And yet he is saying that in a very real sense, we have a role to play in the forgiveness of others. That when, when we share our faith, we, we are, we're offering them forgiveness. Here, take it. Take, take it. Don't you, don't you want this? And when we refuse to share, when we're too scared or too distracted or too busy to share, we're, we're withholding it from them. We're, we're keeping it just for ourselves. No, it's not. It's for me. Back in seminary, working at that, that same bank, uh, part of my job was to convince people that they needed another credit card. Which I was terrible at. Okay? Because, I mean, really, does anybody need another credit card? Right? The only people who need more credit cards are the people who really don't need any more credit cards. Right? Am I, you, you get that. And so, I mean, it felt like trying to sell ice to an Eskimo. Right? Nobody wants it. Are you kidding me? Nobody... And it feels that way with, with us, doesn't it, as, as Christians, that we have something that, that nobody wants. Or, or, or we feel a little bit like, like Jim Gaffigan. That's why. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> he, he better not. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're religious or not. Does anything make you feel more uncomfortable than some stranger going, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus? Yeah, I'd like you not to. <laughs> you could say that to the Pope. I want to talk to you about Jesus. You'd be like, easy, freak. <laughs> I keep work at work. <laughs> I have to admit, that was a good impression of the Pope. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that captures it, isn't it? That's, that's how we feel. Like, here, here's this thing that nobody wants, but I'm going to try to get you to take it anyway. That's, we come to it with that perspective, don't we? 
And okay, maybe, right, to Gaffigan's point, what I said earlier, maybe don't just go up to random strangers. I do think that's the exception in this, not the, the rule, not, not in a culture like ours. But with your friends, neighbors, classmates, people, we believe, don't we? I mean, if we believe that this story is true, we believe that we have the one thing that everybody wants and everybody needs. Don't we? Because it doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are. Right, and I know some of you you don't you don't believe what, what's going on here, and I and I, I get that I want to respect that, but it doesn't it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, but every one of us knows as we look inside here, if we take a minute to do so, we know we're not right. I know that there's something wrong with me, and I think about the choices I've made, the regrets that I have, the shame that can so easily fill my life. Everybody longs to believe that it's going to be made right. That, that one day, somehow, justice will be done and forgiveness will be offered. We long for that. Everybody does. And we, we have that for people. And if you look at the book of Acts, for example, everywhere the disciples go, that's what they do. They proclaim forgiveness. I mean, you, can, you can look through. It's, it's almost predictable. Whenever they're there with another group, they say, Here, here's forgiveness. Jesus died for your sins to forgive you and to make you whole. What we have is too good to keep to ourselves. Some fears are just worth running towards. One more, finally. Our fears don't stop us because we haven't been abandoned by him. We haven't been abandoned in this. It feels like it sometimes. It feels lonely, scary, right? Uncomfortable, all of that. And of course we wish that we could actually see and hear from Jesus, right? In the flesh, But Jesus tells us here that he now lives within us. Verse verse 22, for all who believe, says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And you and I, we are never alone in this task. I mean, if you're a Christian, that means that the the Spirit of Jesus and all the mystery that it is, I don't pretend to even begin to understand it, but in all that mystery, if you are a believer, the Spirit of Jesus himself lives within you that our God dwells within you. And this is his work. It's not your work. It's not my work. It's not, it's not about having all the, the answers, right? Because who does, right? It's not, it's not understanding people's questions and being able to get it just right or, or to live in such a way that you've got it just perfectly down where people can see that and, and embrace it. This is, this is his work, not ours. And yet he invites us in to partner with him in it. You and I, we cannot convert anybody. You just can't do it. He can, and he does. Right? And if you don't believe that he does, what are you doing here? Right? He does. He does this work in us. He's done this work in me. It's not about having all the right words. It's about being faithful to the God who lives within you. And this, this made all the difference for the disciples. The, I mean, these, these three things, right? Seeing him, being sent by him, and assured that they hadn't been abandoned by him. Because think about it. How else can you explain the difference that happens in these, these guys' lives? It's kind of ridiculous if you think about it. Because three days earlier, the night that Jesus was betrayed, right, and his trial and all of that, they all split. They're out. I mean, it, they're, they're done. They're, whoa, we're, we're gone. They run in absolute terror. Even Peter, right, the guy who's supposed to kind of be their leader uh, under Jesus, right, uh, he, he denies that he ever even knew Jesus because he's so afraid. And now they're trembling three days later behind locked doors. And then just a few weeks go by. The start of the book of Acts. And every one of them is boldly 
courageously, publicly proclaiming that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. Even the sins of putting him to death can be forgiven. That's, that's their message. And all of them, without exception, experience persecution. Most of them are, are beaten, tortured, imprisoned. Many of them are killed. I mean, how else can you explain the, the transformation that happens in these people's lives? Except they, they, they encountered him. They met Jesus in that room, and that made all the difference. And this news, news this good, cannot be killed. It continues to spread on every continent with every people because some fears are worth running towards. And I know at this point, right, you're all kind of done. I'm done. You feel that way, right? Don't, I mean, we feel guilty. Anybody else feeling guilty at this moment? I'm, I've been feeling guilty all week about this. Yeah, thanks, Jacob, for being honest. Yeah, right? You hear that. I wish you'd share my faith more often. Well, I know, but I'm afraid. And it's, it's almost like when the guilt outweighs the fear, uh, then we'll begin. Like, if you feel guilty enough, you'll actually be motivated. It's, that's not what we're doing here, okay? Because even, even the guilt, right? If you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, even the guilt of not doing this is paid for. It's forgiven. That we don't actually have to do any of this. That is the beauty of the gospel. That, that's the forgiveness that's offered us. And when we realize that and say, oh, I don't actually have to do this, man, this message is good. Oh, it's so free. Then it ought to motivate us to want to do it, right? To long for that. So this, I hope this isn't a message about guilt. I don't want it to be that at all. And so I just want to, I want to end with a few practical things for us to get started. Because we're all at different places. So we all struggle with this in different ways. The three practical things for all of us, for running towards our fear rather than away from it. First, listen. And that's what we've been talking about. Jesus listens uh, to all these different folks. We want to be people who listen first and speak later. Uh, some of us are way too good at talking, right? We've got to listen to pursue people out of, out of love and, and friendship, not just so you can like, kind of like sneak the gospel in when nobody's looking, um, but because you want to you let them into this, this important part of who you are, to love them. And so even now, think about who, who are those people in your life? Maybe even just that, that one person that you can begin listening to more, pursuing more, out of, out of just out of love, out of goodness, kindness to them. First, listen. Second, watch. And of course, with watching is, is praying, right? Those things go together. Pray that, that God would give you opportunities and, and watch for those opportunities. Somebody who needs a friend or needs encouragement. And here, let me give one really simple example when it comes to watching. I, I got this from some other guy, some pastor in Atlanta, and I thought it was brilliant, so I'm just going to steal the whole thing. Because uh, I, I think it's a really, a really good, good idea. He, he talks about the, the fact that we all, we all have habits, right? Every one of us. And habits are really hard to create. And he wanted to introduce a new habit into his church of, of everyone embracing this idea of inviting somebody to church as a new habit to form, to invite, to invite somebody to church. And certainly this is not the sum total of what we're talking about here, of sharing your faith. Um, and yet there's something really valuable and powerful about telling people, ask, just come and see, come and look at what, what we're doing here, what, what Jesus means in this place. Um, but to, to start a new habit, you've got to have cues. Okay, are you following this? You've got to have something that, that sparks the habit. You know, something that triggers it, and then you, you carry out the habit of inviting somebody to church. So he, they came up with, at, at their church, three different, different cues. And I, th- I just think they're really helpful, really, really simple for all of us. So the first cue, anytime you hear the phrase, I'm not from around here. The instant response in your brain from now on, right? Let's invite that person to church. I'm not from around. That's an easy way to do it, right? Just say, you know what, hey, you know, if you need a friend or somebody to show you around, well, I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to be able to do that. But you know, you know what's really helped me establish roots in this area? I'm 
this is my church. I love my church. I don't know if you go to church. That's for, for you, but I'd, I'd love it if you came with me. Easy, hopefully non-threatening, right? Hopefully full of humility. So that's, that's the first cue. We're not from around here. Second cue is we were not prepared for this. Okay, this is a, like something good is happening in somebody else's life. You know, a new baby, new job, uh, a marriage, something like that. And they're just, man, it's great. I love it. But man, we did not know what was coming. Well, hey, you know what? If you need a friend or if there's anything I can do to help. But I got to tell you, one place that's helped me with confidence and hope in the midst of, of when I'm feeling overwhelmed is my church. I love my church. Why don't you come with me sometime? Easy. And the third cue. Um, Things are not going well. It's that one we hear often, don't we, from people around us? Divorce, difficult relationship, family problems, money problems, work problems. Things are just not going well right now. Well, hey, you know what? If, if you need a friend, I'd, I'd love to, if there's anything I can do, but you know what? I don't, I don't want to push this on you. I don't know if you go to church at all, but let me just, just say, I, I love my church. And when I have felt the chaos of this world and the pain around me and I feel overwhelmed and, and scared, it's a, it's a place of hope and confidence for me. Would you just maybe come with me sometime? Would you do that? I mean, it, can be, it can be that easy, right? That we, we watch for those opportunities, simple little cues to be able to say, hey, why don't you come with me? Because we all hear those phrases. So watch for them and just invite them to come and see. And yet even as I say that, we all know, right, that that's not enough. That we, we can't just listen. We can't just watch. Even if the watching leads to inviting people to church, we also have to say, at some point, you, just, you have to open your mouth and tell people who you believe Jesus is. Oh, but I don't know what to say, right? Well, who does? I mean, who of us here has it figured out? And if you're one of those um, folks who, who says, well, you know, I'm just going to live my life in such a way that they'll see Jesus in me, and that's what I'll do. And I, I get that, and our lives ought to be representative of this truth. But do you, do you understand how arrogant those words are? Like, you live such a good life that people are going to be falling down at Jesus' feet because of you, right? I mean, really? really? I mean, that, that's, that's what you're saying. If that, well, I'm just going to live such a good life. No, you're not, right? Because your life is messed up. So is mine. We don't, we don't have good enough lives to be able to say, hey, they're just going to see Jesus in me. Jesus himself even used words, right? He did live a good enough life. We've got to be able to speak these things to others. I think that when we do, we get overwhelmed because we overthink it, don't we? We're thinking about all the, the potentials, all the issues, all the things that they could say or would say or should say and all the things you need. To, we get overwhelmed by it, but start with the one thing. Jesus died to offer forgiveness and wholeness. And that this life, this hope is for, for all of us. Maybe just tell them what you believe about Jesus and what he's meant to you. Tell your story. Because the reality is it's really hard to argue with somebody's story, isn't it? Because it's, it's their story. And, and, and tell them that you believe with all grace and humility, please, right? Uh, trying to minimize the barrier that can so easily be formed. To say, I, I think this story can also be your story. Because, because I care for you, because I, I, lo- I love you, I, I long for this to be your story as well. And when we do, friends, some fears are just worth running towards. And let me show you. Because I, I want you to meet Bob. Bob, would you go ahead and join me up here? Uh, Bob and his family, they, they moved here to, to Kansas City just uh, about a year ago now. There you go, buddy. Um, and Bob is a, a firefighter. Um, 
he is married to Valerie. Uh, they have uh, three kids. Um, and I, I, I've gotten to know Bob a little bit over the last year and thought it'd be great to just hear a little bit from him. So, Bob, why don't you tell us a little bit of your story, um, you know, even going back before, before you moved to, to Kansas. I want to first thank you for allowing me to tell the story because I've been wanting to tell it for a while. Okay, so when I was very young, I was about maybe 10 years old, I was raised with a family that was um, extremely involved in the church. It was a very traditional church. I was an altar boy for several years. Everything was looking really good. <clears throat> my family, more my mom and dad, unfortunately, at that time, went, uh, decided to get divorced. It was an extremely difficult time for me. I was the youngest of four children, and it hit me really hard. So I did what most kids would probably do at that age, and I prayed. And I prayed, and this praying went on for a long time for my parents to get back together, and they never did. So, of course, I blamed God for that because he didn't answer my prayer. And it was tough because I basically closed the door on my heart, and I locked it at that point. So I'm going to fast forward 30 years from now, or 30 years forward to about a year ago before we moved here. Um, my family, we lived in California, and my wife and kids would still go to church. Uh, they were very involved. And, you know, the hardest part about Sundays for me was my youngest coming to me and asking me why I didn't want to go to church. And I didn't have an answer for him. It was very difficult. So... It was, it, was, it was very, you know, straining on the family. And the opportunity came for us to move here to Kansas, and we moved here for family because my wife's family is from here. And I didn't know anybody, so it was almost like a fresh start for me. Yeah, Bob, t- tell us a little bit about that because, you know, 30 years had gone by, right, of your heart being, being closed. Um, what was different when you, when you moved? What changed? I can't really tell you specifically, other than when we got here, that the, the fresh start that I mentioned. It was like, <clears throat> maybe I just tired out. <laughs> so I finally told my wife and kids that, you know what, they had come to this Christ community like twice, I believe, before I decided to come. I told them one Sunday, I said, you know, I'll go to church with you. I can't make any promises, but I'll go. And I came to the service. And I, I want to recall that my wife and kids were in Sunday school that I actually was in the service by myself. Mm-hmm. So that's the service that got this whole journey beginning was listening to you speak. It was amazing. Uh, I felt like the, the sermon that you wrote was directed at me, like I was the only one in the, in the, audience, or the congregation. And it, just, it was powerful listening to you talk. And I, don't, and I mean this all in the best of intentions, but... Hearing you talk is like reading a, a children's book with big pictures. You know how easy that is to follow? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, that's, I'll put that on my resume. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you, man, you were the key that went into my heart that day. And it was so powerful that I decided to come back the following Sunday. Well, that's when, that's when I met you, too. Was, that, was it that first Sunday? Yeah, actually, you're right. The f- <laughs> The first Sunday that I came in, I listened to the sermon he spoke. I was almost in tears just listening to him because it, what he was talking about really was hit home with me. And after the service was over, he kind of started to mingle and talk to different people. I waited for my opportunity. I, and I stalked him. And then when the moment was right, I reached around and I just gave him a huge hug. And he didn't know who I was. 
<clears throat> and I started crying, just, just in tears. And I think I got him soaked. But yeah. Yeah, I told Kelly later that afternoon, I was like, the biggest guy I've ever seen just came over and gave me the biggest hug. I told my wife about it. She's like, you did what? <laughs> that was a little weird. Yeah, it that was. was a little weird. Um, yeah, so. but let's, let's, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm glad that that experience began here, Bob. But tell me a little bit more. Um, I know that also either that first or second Sunday, um, Somebody invited you to their community group, and that was a really pivotal spot. Talk that about was, that a little bit. That was phase two of this. You were phase one with being the key. Phase two was after the second service, I was starting to leave, and uh, one of the um, members here came up to me and said, you know, thanks for being here. Uh, he just introduced himself and said, you know, you're welcome to do, you know, you're welcome to do more than just come on Sundays, because I had told him that I'm a firefighter, and I can't make every Sunday, mm-hmm. and it's just my schedule. It's like, well, you know, you can be more involved with other things than intervention community groups. So I went home that day. My wife and I were talking about it, and it actually turns out that she was going to go to a community group that night and um, in our neighborhood, and I agreed to go. And they were, that person who invited you was in that yeah, community group. The person yeah. that invited me was exactly was in the group. Mm-hmm. So we went to this community group, and this, this one was, was pretty powerful. It was... There was somebody in the group that I connected with immediately. Didn't know who he was, but listening to him speak, it almost felt like we were on the same page spiritually. He was kind of on the fence, but he did, but he was very open with what he had to say. And so that led to me 10 minutes later going, well, if he could talk about his feelings, and, and I'll do it. So I basically opened up to this group of strangers and <laughs> began to cry again. And it was it was just very intense because I was able to tell them things I didn't really think I told my wife. And so after the group was over, we, my wife and I talked about it on our way home. And I said, well, sorry for embarrassing you for one, but two, it just felt so good to mm. be able to let that out. Mm. And it almost was like the doors just opened on my heart mm. from that moment on. Mm. And then what happened next was, was the pivotal point in this and it happened about 10 days after this community group. I was driving, I remember this so clearly, I was driving down I-35 and I was getting off at 119th Street. And all of a sudden, I was by myself. I, over, I was overwhelmed with this warmth in my body. And I can't explain it other than it, just, it was just a good feeling. And I started crying again. <laughs> and that's when I heard God talk to me. He said to me, I think he was taking the opportunity. He knew that door was open. And I honestly felt like he took the opportunity to say, thank you for letting me back into your heart. And he took that door off the hinges and he threw it away. Mm. And from that point on, I'm here where I am today. It's like, I, I tell my kids, I go, in the past, it was easy to tell you why I didn't want to go to church sometimes because I had to work. Now I actually get angry when I'm working because I can't come to church. So it's been a, it's been a very huge transition. And I just, if I can say one thing to you guys if you know anybody that's that's not a christian or on the fence tell them that that we know a guy who who fought this for 30 years and it can be done that seeking christ is so much easier than coming up with all the excuses why you can't Hmm. so that's great thanks bob that's my story thanks so much for sharing yeah
I just love that we get to, to end here as we've been talking about this the last eight weeks. If you remember, we, sh- we started with a video, right, of, of life change. And, and part of that is we, we just we want to continue to believe, right, that God does this, um, that he changes us, that he continues to change us no matter where we're at, um, but he breaks into people's lives, um, even people who have been running from him. And, you know, we have seen more stories like Bob in the last year, year and a half here at the Olathe campus, and maybe in the previous eight years, um, we continue to see God showing up in these ways, continuing to blow the doors off. And so let's, let's pray together. Let's pray for Bob um, and for one another, and then we'll continue our, our time of worship together. Let me, let me pray. God, I'm so thankful for Bob and for his story. God, I'm thankful that you are a God who, um, who opens the doors of our lives, that God, that you've done that for me, and God, I pray that you continue to do that in my life and in the lives of those here. God, I I pray too for those who are on the fence. God, I pray that you would reach out to them, that they would um, hear something from Bob's story that would would grab them, touch them, and that you, Lord Jesus, would reach out to them. God, I pray too, as we have even talked about this, God, the many Christians around the world who are hurting, who are suffering, God, I pray that you would comfort them. God, I pray that we would not um, forget them in our comfort and ease. God, I pray that you would be with Farshid in prison for um, Asya as she awaits execution and for her family, both their families. God, and the millions of others who are in similar situations. God, even, even as we uh, get the, the incredible privilege of voting this week, God, I pray that you'd give us joy and wisdom in that. But God, I pray that we'd be mindful of those who have so little opportunity. And God, that you would be present with them even when they're alone. And God, I pray that you'd be with us now as we continue our time of of worship, that we would stand in your presence with joy, knowing that you are a God who changes lives. Please continue to change mine. We ask this in Christ's name.